Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Your pain. All right. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here with the last week in mortgage today. 30 minutes where we kind of take you through everything that has happened in the mortgage industry this past week. Also like to have some smart people on from the TMC network to help us kind of assess not only the news headlines, but the current business climate. Every week, really pleased to be joined by a different lender member as my co-host each week. This week, thrilled to have the Chief Financial Officer of Van Dyke Mortgage, Justin McDowell on board. Justin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to getting into the discussion. And this week, uh, very pleased to be joined by someone I've known a long time, the uh, Chief Revenue Officer for OptiFunder. Does some really cool things. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, yeah, a guy that has been in and around uh, the industry, a bunch of years at City and some years at First American. He worked at a company we won't name with our Vice President of Business Development, Faith Howard Mooney. She says you have the best hair in the mortgage industry and was very excited to see this OOC. So, uh, John Rotilla of OptiFunder. John, good to see you, bud. Thanks, Rich. Nice to be on with you and Justin and everybody else. Thank you. And we wanted to have you on and opt the funder on because, I mean, I think lenders right now, rightfully so, are very, very focused on cutting expenses, uh, you know, driving profit margin. And what you guys do, I always like to tell the story of how we got introduced to OptiFunder. We do these things called collab labs at TMC. And we were doing one in Scottsdale. It was like, I don't know, six months before the pandemic. And we have the individual like collab labs on day one. Then we bring all the labs together day two for kind of like the top takeaways, the top aha moments. And one of our independent mortgage banker members got up very passionately and shared with the entire group, all the lab groups, what you guys do, the impact that you were having on their company. I think like three weeks later, we had a deal done. It was like done on a cocktail napkin uh, that day. And uh, you guys have been a partner since we've seen nobody that has gotten quicker adoption with their independent mortgage banks, because what you guys do, it's instant efficiency pickup with zero changes to your operational process, managing warehouse lines and purchase advice automation. I'll let you fill in the blanks there, but uh, tell us a little bit about what OptiFunder does for lenders. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Appreciate that. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're the first of a kind in the only warehouse management system out there, which started initially as an opportunity to optimize funding decisions, meaning where are you going to fund the next loan uh, through some machine learning and optimization, looking at pipeline dynamics, as well as eligibility rules, just simply around warehouse lending providers. But that quickly uh, morphed into automating all the processes up and through funding, shipping, documents, collateral tracking, and purchase advice automation. So not only do we optimize the decisioning process, which is really the trigger for process, we optimize that and then we can automate the rest of the solution. So you can look at us as uh, an optimization engine, just use the decisioning. You don't have to change any of your process at all. And that saves eight to 10% in interest, which is about two, three basis points to your bottom line. And you can automate uh, the rest of the functionality if you choose to, to save on some of your headcount, FTE, efficiency, timing, and some of the other things too. Very cool. And one, one of many cool things about my job is getting to hear little anecdotes like that, like little things that can help lenders save money that are shared with other members in our network that help make the whole network stronger. The other is just getting to have an ear on the ground to services like you. Like I, I'll never forget it that lab. I'm like, oh my God, there's a company that does that? 
Like at first I'm like, I didn't know that too. I'm like, that's cool. And three, like, why hasn't that existed before now? So uh, yeah, great work with what you guys have been doing and you guys have a ton of clients within the network, including Van Dyke and Justin. So thanks for joining us, John. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, let's get into it. Justin, generally speaking, you know, we'll go through some more specific news headlines, but interest rates and housing supply continue to drive the narrative in our industry for all the obvious reasons. You've been CFO on the financial side of the business for some time now, a guy we lean on at TMC to do a lot of stuff. And uh, just, yeah, welcome your perspective on the broader market here as we get into the summer months. Yeah, um, well, I think, um, you know, my opinion is that rates are going to kind of continue to float and fluctuate, you know, in, in the fives and maybe peak up into the sixes. Um, but then I think eventually, maybe when the election year comes, you're going to see another refi rally, I, I think, because if you look at the last few election years, that's when it usually happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you know, home prices increase and interest rates increase, your buying pool shrinks. So it seems like it's um, it, it's slowing down a little bit. The, the what is with the supply chain issues that we're having still needs to catch up there. I think also with the trades workers that you've had a lot of people last 10, 20 years, people have just been parents have always pushed their kids. You got to get a four-year degree. You got to get a four-year degree. Now, I mean, then that, that shrunk the trades, like the carpenters, the electricians, the plumbers, all those. I mean, so you have a shortage of workers is there as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this summer. I mean, especially with, you know, food increasing and gas increasing, all that price, all those prices as well. So you just got to kind of, it's it, being a CFO. I think I've been in the industry for 16 years, CFO for 13. It, it's, it's hard to budget in our industry. You know, it, it's, you got to be able to react and have a plan to react. You got to have a guideline, but your plan has to be able to react because as I equate our industry, it's, it's like the Michigan weather. You never know what you're going to get the next day. It change on a dime, right? So it's, um, yeah, you just got to be able to, whatever they throw at you, you got to be able to react quickly and efficiently. Words of wisdom, I, you know, again, being in this role, getting a chance to talk to leaders like yourself and just see the history of companies evolve is companies that do well through all different types of cycles, right? Are the ones that do exactly what you just said, that adapt quick, that have a plan, but are not afraid to move off it immediately um, and to move with the ebbs and flow of our industry. And we've seen the extremes of that here uh, this last year. So John, your history in the industry, pretty broad. I actually spent some uh, time actually at a credit union running mortgage lending for them, staying close to uh, everything going on. Your, your general thoughts on on the climate, inventory, rates right now. Maybe see how you see the rest of the year playing out. Yeah, a little bit different perspective. You know, I don't sit in the CFO seat, but uh, more in a sales perspective and talking to a lot of lenders out there. You know, I think everybody sees a little bit of a longer term run in rates continuing to climb here. Uh, so they're reacting. You know, like you mentioned before, trying to cut costs, et cetera, but also casting a wider net right? Looking at some alternative products, getting back into ARMS and HELOCs and Jumbo and non-QM and widening that net. That's the reaction I see to a lot of this. So when I see that type of planning in place, it tells me that there's some long-term thinking that we're in for higher rates for a longer period of time. I hope Justin's right that we run into a little bit of a refi kick here around the election cycle. But um, 
you know, I don't think anybody's thinking that what we're in right now is is short term. Uh, I would suggest that, you know, uh, this is when companies really look at their stockpiles, right, and figure out how do they survive through this? What type of changes do they make? I like Justin's um, the point about planning is tough in our business. It reminds me of a great Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I think this rising rate environment, it, for, for many, it surprisingly to me, it did punch some lenders in the face and they're reacting now. Others kind of saw this coming and have laid the groundwork for what this type of more purchase-centric market looks like. And they've maintained those relationships. Others are scrambling out of a refi type market and looking to establish new referral relationships. But in this limited environment or inventory market, that's becoming a little bit more difficult. They're probably a little late to the party, but they're making changes elsewhere to accommodate. So it's how quickly you can adapt, uh, how, how you've saved up through the good times to invest now is how I see a lot of people surviving through what may be a viewed as a significant downturn. But for those that were prepared for it and more purchase centric, it's a little bit more business as usual with a little bit of that peak chopped off from refis, but more of a business as usual environment. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next six, eight months brings here. Back to basics for lenders, uh, getting to the point of sale, realtors, focus on efficiency, vendors like OptiFunder that can help lenders operate more profitably. And uh, Justin, to your point, I, I do think people are sleeping on refis a little bit just later in the year. Your point about election years is spot on. We've seen that almost every election year. And you know, I think there's a lot of focus recently for good reason, total volumes down, but you're coming off record years. All the volume really has been purchased, especially these last few months. And basically every single home that's going out in the market is getting bought by somebody at a rate somewhere in the low to high fives, basically. Uh, on top of that, um, you've got, because of inflation and other factors, Americans ringing up credit card debt, you know, cash out refive, we get back down to 4%. Uh, when you're tying in, you know, 13, 14, 15% credit card debt, right? Uh, all of a sudden starts to make a lot more sense. So uh, it's, as you said, beyond the financial side, you got to kind of be ready. You got to be ready for anything. Um, moving to the supply side of things, it, because there's so much pent up demand to buy houses in America. I think all of us in the industry are just like, man, if, they, if, if inventory could loosen up a little bit, it really would have a big impact. And uh, we saw a report by Realtor.com uh, late last week, the first year over year increase in total active inventory since June of 2019. Uh, so not an insignificant number. The first month, literally, that this month is more active inventory than the month, the year prior. Um, so we're starting to see some good news along those lines. The Biden administration came out with the housing supply plan. Justin, you get a chance to digest any of that? A uh, little bit. Let's see, which that was, um, let's see. So I took a look at it a, a little bit and that's with the ADUs, right? The uh, Okay, so I thought that was a very interesting term. I thought that was well, where it's um, accessory dwelling units, where they're going to start building um, like second or backyard homes and in-law suites on the property as well. It sounded like as a as an option, I can see that um, you know picking up with the with, with that generation moving um, into that that age. Um, 
just like reverse mortgages. I always thought we're going to, you know, start, start, um, start picking up as well. I mean, if people didn't have um, income or save enough, they would have to be able to, you know, tap into their home to get some income for retirement. But have you seen any of that, Justin, yet? Any any pickup in demand on the reverse mortgage side? It seems like it should. And I've heard lenders say that, but it doesn't feel like there's this avalanche of reverse mortgage volume that some maybe were. Not not yet. I, we've seen a tick. It's it's uptick a little bit, but it's not um, dramatic. It's not going to it's not a game changer. Um, at Right now, we're looking at um, we, we've we were funding them in-house. Then we started brokering them out because it didn't really the cost of having the pain for the software didn't really outweigh the production. So it, um, we, we decided to start brokering those again, but we're looking at bringing those back in house because of the uptick. Um, so not too much business, but I, I could see it picking up here next five years or so, five, seven years. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined this week by the Chief Financial Officer of Van Dyke Mortgage, Justin McDowell, and Chief Revenue Officer, a TMC partner, OptiFunder, John Rotilla. John, some other positive news that uh, that came out recently from CoreLogic, big data provider, um, in and along the lines of just investor purchases of homes in America. Some really, really interesting stats in their report. Um, October of last year, 27% of all homes purchased were by investors. That I mean, that was the high watermark like ever. It got back down to 20% by the end of the year. Now we're kind of in the teens, the low teens. Um, but it feels like investors are starting to back off a little bit, which should help the overall inventory market. Uh, any any thoughts on that report by CoreLogic recently? Yeah, kind of look at that in a couple of different ways. Yes, hopefully it allows for some market, some markets to recover a little bit with these investors backing out and allowing everyday borrowers to go in there and get an opportunity to buy a home. But I also look at the economics driving. Why are these investors now starting to slow down? Are they seeing the velocity and increase in pricing and some of the inflationary pressures? Maybe they forecast some pressures on their returns for these types of investments. So therefore, maybe they see that we're approaching a peak and they're just taking action sooner than later. Uh, I hope that's not the case. Maybe they've just filled whatever type of capacity they're looking for and they're stepping away from the market as just a normal course of action. And that puts allows more houses to be on the market in inventory for others to uh, to put offers on. It's, it's, it's locked out so many people from buying homes when they're in the 20 plus percent of uh, available inventory. It's un- that's unbelievable. You think about it now, Justin, when, you know, the old Calabria FHFA, when they're trying to put the caps on lenders, on non-owner, and now you look at these percentages that are coming out, like how ill, what was it? It was 6%, wasn't it? That they were capping on non-owner? Yeah, <laughs> 27%. Now, not all those have mortgages, right? A lot of those are cash deals, but still, I mean, it, it kind of speaks to, that's why we saw so many of our members when they put that out there, like, start to comb through their pipeline, like, oh, no, luckily, you know, ended up becoming a non-issue. But uh, the investor just home purchase side of our industry, any any observations from your porch? Yeah, I, I think the, um, the the VRBO and the Airbnb was kind of disruptor to the timeshare industry. And so you see a lot of these big, big companies now who have deep pockets, they were seeing the opportunity there. And so they would go and buy. Um, I heard 
just a lot of like a whole development, like a hundred or thousand lot development there. And, um, and th- of course they were riding the wave of appreciation the last couple of years and saw the return that they could get and written them out in the interim. So and they're cash flowing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was definitely a disruptor for that, that industry. And they, they saw an opportunity and they, they went into it. I remember 07, 08 vividly, you know, it's like when you see a run up in housing prices like we have recently, uh, it's like a game of musical chairs, right? I mean, people that are buying the homes now, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The people that are buying homes right now in Miami and Phoenix and Charlotte, they're helping drive up the, you know, they're helping add to the possibility of a correction of their own homes they're buying at this point. I remember in 07, 08, like when all that went down with the meltdown, like people were just walking away from like half built homes, like (laughs) two or three months into the process, just like picking up and like leaving town and not telling anybody. Now, you know, there's so many factors why I don't see that any anything like that happening now. It's, It's good credit and people got lots of equity and there's just a huge still closet demand for housing just because there's no houses to buy. But at some point, uh, Justin, right, the music's got to stop at some point. I mean, values are going up so much that at least they have to level off for probably some years. We've seen damn near 30% appreciation the last two and a half years nationally. Yeah, I I think it's it's starting to a little bit, Um, but you're not going to see the 20 40 offers that you're getting on a home now for wait. Um, I've heard $200,000 over asking price in some areas. It's just, it's insane what you hear. I think some areas are just going to start to stabilize. There's not going to be a huge retraction because a lot of these people who, when it comes to affordability and they have to sell to your point, Rich, they have equity in the game now. So they're going to sell their home instead of losing. So you're not going to have a huge collapse like we did back in, you know, the end of, you know, 2009 and 2012 era. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's eventually you're you're going to stop seeing the the 16 to 24 percent appreciation, and it's going to stabilize down back to you know the three to five percent um, eventually. But. John, you mentioned earlier in the show, lenders. Uh, I want to get Justin's thoughts on this in a moment here. Just the thirst for product right now. Every LO wants every product, even the ones they'll never do. Um, just because yeah. you know you don't want to be able to, you want you don't have to say no to anything in this kind of climate. Also, just a you know a, a, a extreme focus right now on just operational efficiency. I think um, you know through staffing tweaks, and but process tweaks, tools like OptiFunder. Um, lenders right now, obviously, just you know, after years of just not the wild west, but just refis falling out of trees and just find a way to get them closed. We're making <laughs> you know enough money where just let, let's just go get it. Now it's kind of okay. It's really time to tighten up the house. You work for a company that isn't a, an efficiency based product, um, so you're working with lenders that are of this mindset and I'm probably you're seeing the same thing I'm hearing from our lenders that this is a huge focus for whenever inventory loosens up and and there's more purchase activity out there. Yeah, I think it's a balancing act, right, of being able to say yes and being able to operationally accommodate uh, whatever's coming in and there's enough scale there to make it worthwhile. From where we hear it is kind of second the second step, right, is they're adding different products and they're talking to the warehouse lenders around sublimits on non-QM and some of these things, it makes managing those relationships more complex 
And therefore, they reach out to us and ask for some advice on how we help manage that decisioning process and then the automation of that. Um, so we hear that kind of as they're going through these iterations, but the decision process and to add non-QM, et cetera, I'm sure Justin has a, a much deeper understanding of that. We hear it secondhand and how to manage that once that decision's been made. Justin, product, it's all, you know, conferences I've been at talking to our lenders. It, it's its all lenders are really focused on it. They, you know, trying to make sense of, you know, the products of today and tomorrow and having the right investors on board and all that. I'm sure you're hearing the same from, from your sales staff and, and, and trying to do the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Non-QM, ELOC seconds, um, you, you, you name it, you, tr- you try to, if you can accommodate it, you try to. Last year, we've been on a, um, we, we've always tried to pride ourselves on being part of the leading edge of technology in our industry. And um, for the last year, we've been investing heavily in, in, in products and service or companies that help us with automation. And so um, OptiFunder being one of them. And um, so that's one of our focuses is trying to um, build that out, make the customer experience more enjoyable. And as I tell the team, is like you, nowadays you want to make it simple. You want to make it easy for everybody because they have so many other things going on. You want to try to just as simple as possible. Um, so absolutely with the products and all that. But. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by the CFO of Van Dyke Mortgage, Justin McDowell, and the Chief Revenue Officer of OptiFunder, John Rotilla. Uh, a bunch, John, of housing uh, reports that have come out over the course of the last week on pending home sales, new home sales, existing home sales, rents hitting another high, not surprisingly, in America. That uh, And then Case Schiller, which is the, you know, kind of, Industry renowned home value index, single family home prices up 20.6% year over year in March of 2022. So homes are still really uh, appreciating at a strong clip. And not surprisingly, right? Every every home that's out there is, is getting, we just need more supply to, to, to end that climb. Yeah, well, hopefully some of the investors backing out of the space will add some more to the uh, supply side, you know, and you'll have a little bit more supply demand balance. Um, but it, it is a little nerve wracking when you see these these prices appreciating at such a pace. And as long as the buying activity remains there, you know, there's something's got to give at some point in time. And if you look at the other pressures of inflation, you start to wonder, have we you know, where we at the sleep at the switch here? Are we already entering into a recession, recessionary period? Uh, or are we very close? Or are we going to avoid it? I think those are the questions that are being asked now. When you look at some of these numbers, I mean, gas over five, six, seven dollars a gallon, depending where you are, just drives the cost of everything up, you know, especially when it's diesel fuel. The cost of everything increases, home pricing's increasing, uh, wages aren't keeping pace with inflation. Something's got to give at some point. So when you see these things accelerate, in a vacuum, you look at it and say, that's great if you're a homeowner. But when you look at the, all the other pressures around it, it, it starts to make you a little nervous. Justin, you're a financial guy. And I just, I feel like, and John just kind of made this, I, I feel like we're at such a crux right now, just with the broader economy in general, which obviously impacts our industry greatly, where um, there are some things that are very 
nerve wracking inflation and, you know, interest rates and, uh, you know, housing costs on the other side of the ledger, the job market is incredibly healthy. Wage growth is not keeping up with inflation, but it's historically healthy. Consumers are still spending money. Um, the savings rates are very high in America. Um, I just, I, I talk about these things every week. I, I, I'm trying to talk to a lot of smart people that can help me make sense of this. Where's your mind at with the broader economy? Yeah, I think um, that they're trying to combat inflation with, you know, increasing the uh, the rates. I think, what, what do they say, by the end of the year, they want to be around 2%. Is that kind of the word, two and a half? Um, I, I looked at some of those articles um, about payroll payroll increasing, about 390,000. But if you look at those jobs, and that was just in April, if you look at those jobs, a lot of those jobs were in fields where they were impacted heavily by COVID. And so it looks like a lot of people are just going back to those kind of like um, leisure and travel and like hotels, hospitality, things like that, uh, transportation. So, I mean, if you look at the mortgage industry, it's it's just the opposite. You know, some of those jobs are no longer there that they they don't need them the last couple of years. Um, we could have just traded. We could have brought all the restaurant workers into the mortgage industry after the pandemic. And then, you know, like four or five months ago, just gave them all back. It would have, it would have made everything simpler, right? That's right. <laughs> you don't see a help wanted sign at every restaurant you go to. Yeah, at least I don't. Whereas, in, you know, a year ago, you did. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's tough to predict. Like John said, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what the rest of the um, year, how that um, pans out. But um, I think they're doing what they can with inflation right now and um and we'll see how that how that goes but it's going to be very interesting with the rentals increasing uh, the rent increasing for everybody so how can they afford rent and gas going up five to seven dollars a gallon plus food tripling all that other stuff and you can still full afford your rental payment which you're going to see a lot of people default i think on on their payments so you're going to they're going to have to have some kind of relief there eventually if that, that doesn't stop. It's just, John, like, you know, Detroit, you're in Detroit, I'm in Cleveland. Like, you just, if you're like 23-year-old couple that just graduated college, maybe, you know, one one of the people doesn't have a job yet or doing something out of their field, somebody's making 60000 like, you just, there's nowhere to live. Like, you can't even rent is even crazy. Yeah, I think that's that's the new accessory dwelling unit plan. I think you live in your parents' backyard. You, you have any ADUs on your your vast properties in uh, Detroit, John? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I we don't have any around here in this area. I, I don't know if that's more of a, a coastal thing or not, but they're they're not happening around in, in my area. Justin, you've been a CFO for 15 years. Have you? I never heard the term ADU until it was in the Biden thing. I, I thought there was every I knew every acronym. Yeah, same here. I mean, I, th- I think they said that was a new one when we read the article. <laughs> it was like, uh, I don't like the the new mortgage acronym. So, uh, as always, fun and spirited conversation. Uh, really appreciate the two of you joining me this week, uh, Justin. Uh, appreciate your membership, everything you do for TMC and Van Dyke. Longtime great member. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
And John Optifunder, a uh, great partner at TMC. I don't know. Well, the proof is in the pudding. It's, you know, I really, I would not say this if it was not true. You show Optifunder to an independent mortgage bank and nobody doesn't come on board with you guys because you help people make money. It's really, there's few, there's not many products like that in the mortgage industry. So, you know, I knew, know you were happy at that credit union. It was a new, but you know, you're also a real smart guy. It was just too good an opportunity with a great company. No, I appreciate that. Great to be here with everybody. Justin, great to be here with you as well. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Rich. Absolutely. And to our attendees, thanks as always for joining us, uh, taking 30 minutes out of your week with us. We strive to make it really relevant 30 minutes and to save you time um, by watching or listening, uh, podcast, TMC Connect, where most of you absorb the program. Uh, so if you're a podcast listener, we do this live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Zoom, and you can go to mortgagecollaborative.com on our event calendar and get registered for that series each week as well. So until next week, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Take care, Justin. Take care, John. You too. We'll see you. Thanks, everybody. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.